We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Billy Marshall, joined as always by my co-host, John Ellis, here to provide the lowdown on the Carolina Panthers hiring a new general manager and head coach. Uh, John, how's it going? Hey, Billy, what's up, man? Uh, happy Friday to you, and it seems like we've been through this uh <laughs> three times now since we started this podcast uh, coach gm carousel so yeah looking forward to diving into it yeah it's uh very um a lot of outcomes from this particular uh hirings i should say uh, it seems like every uh, job has been filled now based on the report that washington uh, hired dan quinn yesterday um so let's get right into it uh, I do have kind of just a larger conversation on the process and where it's led them. Uh, and so for Carolina, they ended up hiring uh, Dave Canales as their head coach, uh, Dan Morgan as a GM and foot, president of football operations. And they also made a hire to revamp their front office by hiring Brent Tillis as I believe it's the executive vice president. Uh, yeah. Yep, comes from uh, Kansas City. EVP of Football Operations is the title. Exactly. And according to a few people um, that are reporting on this subject in particular, do you want to give a shout out to Joe Person? Uh, he mentioned that the structure will be similar to how uh, the Rams have their front office with Les Snead and Kevin Demoff and the 49ers. Uh, where it's uh, John Lynch and Parag Marath. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the expectation moving forward. I just want to give, yeah, I'm going to leave Canales out of this for just to start off this discussion, and then we can get into kind of your thoughts and expand the conversation to the head coach and the coaching staff. Um, off the bat, I liked what Canales did last year. Um, so, I mean, if you've heard our conversation on our last show, we were pretty encouraged by what Tampa was doing offensively. And um, I mean, he was always going to win the press conference uh, no matter what yeah. after watching a few of his pressers in Tampa. So I'm not surprised, but uh, I want to get to the front office because that's a big thing. David Tepper fired Scott Fitter. Let's just level set here. Okay. Because this, when they promoted Dan Morgan, I was very, very, very disappointed. 
I wasn't I was disappointed for a couple reasons. The first reason is that you know, right after the season, Michael Lombardi, he's you know, whatever you think of him, he does have pretty reliable intel. Immediately after the season, you know, they he does a show on fan or DraftKings uh with Femi Abadafe, I believe his name is. And it's a really good podcast, the GM Shuffle. They go over the news and notes of the league, and he kind of explains it. And if you don't know Lombardi, he worked under Belichick in Cleveland and uh, New England. He also worked for Al Davis in Oakland as a front office executive. So he's pretty plugged in. His sons were also um, on Matt. One of his sons was actually on Matt Rule's coaching staff. So uh, I think he has some pretty decent intel. And so right after the season, he mentioned that the owner's wife, Nicole Tepper, uh, had a very close relationship with Dan Morgan, and he expected Dan Morgan to become uh, get promoted. And that oh. caught me off guard oh. because I'm just going to try to be real with everyone. Myself in particular, I've been very critical of Scott Fitter, and I'm not going to shy away from that. But I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to know that Scott Fitter, he is not some type of dictator who goes rogue in the front office making draft selections that – no one else agrees with he gets input and solicits advice from his other members or other um colleagues whether it's the assistant gm the scouting director or player personnel director whatever so that just you keeping a gm who or excuse me you're promoting a gm who was part of the worst roster in franchise history in my opinion i think 2001 was a little better um but you you are the historian on this podcast so you can compare it uh, if you'd like, but um, as far as just my perspective, like, I don't like how it was portrayed that it was just a Scott Fitter issue, okay? Or now we heard, obviously, a couple weeks later, Samir Suleiman moves on. I don't like that we are just pinning all the blame on the front office issues on Fitter and Suleiman. Now, did they deserve to get fired and move on? I think so, and they were abruptly dealt with. What my concern here level is, and again, I'm not saying Dan Morgan isn't respected. I'm not saying he isn't doesn't have the qualifications. My issue is it comes down to the owner. I don't trust the owner as much as I trust the other members of this front office slash coaching staff. Because when I hear that Nicole Tepper has a very close relationship with Dan Morgan, and that's why he's getting promoted, I mean, that just tells me, like, I mean, what are we doing here? And so then I look at the structure between Morgan and Fitter, and they're really close friends. Even Morgan said in his press conference yesterday that he considers Fitter to be a close friend. I mean, close friends, John, you and I, we're pretty close at this point. I'm not going to, like, just go rogue on you and say, hey, you know what, man, I, I really want to take Anthony Richardson here. Or you want to take C.J. Stroud here. This guy wants to take Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, I don't think it's like that. I think there was collaboration among this front office when they made their decision. I don't – I strongly – don't believe it was just a Scott Fitter issue. Now, if you want to say Dan Morgan has his own ideas and his own inputs, you want know fair enough. Okay, so I'll leave Dan Morgan aside now. That's just perspective number one. Perspective two is the front office outside of Dan Morgan. Now, I, again, I'm not trying to take personal shots at these individuals because I'm sure they're qualified. But you're going to retain guys like Cole Spencer, the college scouting director, who was part of all of these disastrous drafts. And, and that's just my point. I don't believe this. Sh- I believe the entire operation should be completely revamped. I don't believe that just Fitterer and Suleiman 
were deserving of their fate. Did they get, you know, dealt with? Yeah, sure. And I think that's fair. But to me, the fact that the general manager, as it stands right now, Dan Morgan, already has a close relationship with the owner and the uh, owner's wife, that's concerning for a couple reasons, as I'll detail later. I don't care what the owner says about, you know, him supposedly taking a step back. I don't believe that for a second until I see it. (laughs) Um, I just get concerned about that process. And you're also keeping the scouts and the guys that were part of this complete debacle. And this wasn't just like a, um, it wasn't a one-time thing. It's been culminating for years and years. And so for me, the biggest thing is I just, I I don't know about how things are going to change moving forward with Dan Morgan. And let me just be clear. I I really don't care if Dan Morgan played here or not. I'm I'm kind of tired of the nostalgia thing that people are trying to make up. And I've heard other fans too. They really don't care about Dan Morgan's credentials as a player. That's separate to what we're discussing here. I just feel like, John, and maybe you have a different perspective, but that was – just it, it didn't really sit right with me. The coaching staff, I, again, I thought it was a good hire. I'll get to him in a second. I'm glad they brought in Brent Tillis to kind of oversee and to collaborate. But overall, I believe the front office needs to go further changes. And I don't think that just promoting the assistant GM of a team that went 2-15 and 15 is going to solve anything. Well, let me give you a quote from Joe Person's article from Musin Muhammad. I think you and I can both agree he's uh, a guy that we both hold in high regard as, as one of the standard bearers of this franchise. Here it is. Quote, who wouldn't be skeptical? And I think that speaks to the fact that as he continues in this quote, this city, this organization, the players who've been here for a long time, old guys like Shaq Thompson, I think the natural reaction is to be skeptical. And you're wrong if you're not. These players have seen turnover. The city has seen turnover. There's an element of let's wait and see. Um, and and I thought that was a very telling comment. I think what you're nailing on here it ha- has some credence to it. Now, I haven't heard or seen from Michael Lombardi on this, and I certainly respect a lot of work he's done here. But I will say that I, I think the natural reaction is when you go outside and you get a search firm to start the process of hiring a candidate to be your next general manager, it, it it was a bit surprising at the end of the day, not that I'm as skeptical or down on the hire as maybe some people might be. I like Dan Morgan. I think he's got a good opportunity here. But I think the thought process was if they're going through a search firm here, consulting firm, and you end up landing on an in-house candidate, that, that seems to have maybe defeated that process when you have a lot of candidates out there that might have fit the bill. Now, obviously, adding Brant Tillis – That's a different dynamic, and I like the fact that they've done that. I respect the work he's done with Kansas City. He comes highly regarded for nothing but good things. The only thing I'll point to is the fact that, you know, you you nailed some things there in terms of the scouting department. How does that all look? Is that going to take shape at all this year? Is that something they're going to look to revamp and, and recalculate after draft season, which is typically the case with those college scouts? But, yeah, it took a lot of people, starting with the owner, to put together, as you mentioned, and, and you said I'm the historian on the show. That's a nice way of saying I'm the old guy. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that, that roster we looked at last year was the most uh, thin roster I've seen. You mentioned Dan Morgan. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Look, we learned a lesson with Frank Reich. 
And all these guys are different, but you know, there was a lot of sentimental value with Frank Reich coming back in the building, with Dom Capers coming back in the building, and they end up with a 2-15 and season. So I'm, you know, obviously on Twitter a lot. You guys see me. I, I like to look back at some of the things that guys like Dan Morgan have done over their career here. But until you start putting together a winner here in your capacity you're in now, we've seen this over the years with guys that come back home and it doesn't work out. So there's a lot of pressure on Dan. He's obviously excited to dive in and do this. It's a great accomplishment for him, and, and I'm happy for him. But at the end of the day, the selling point, Billy, at at this press conference and, and from what we've heard is the continuity of thought versus the diversity of thought we had last year with Canales and Morgan spending so many years together there in Seattle. Um, that's the one thing I can point to and say maybe that's a positive. But there are deeper issues, and it goes all the way to the top of ownership there. If that doesn't get resolved and this is what one former staffer told me here that worked with this franchise for a while in a front office capacity that if and when the owner decides that okay it's officially time to step back and not have these Monday meetings and to really truly show some restraint and patience and allow a guy like Dave Canales and Dan Morgan and Brant Tillis and those they eventually entrust in their front office and coaching capacities to do their job without interference Nothing will improve. So that's the big question. I can sit here all day and, and praise or bash the hires, but until the owner decides that his role is no longer that of a, a, a Monday morning quarterback with the coach, very little is going to change. It's a huge distraction. It was for Frank Reich and his staff, and, and hopefully that's behind us here. That's my initial thoughts on, on Dan Morgan. And I, I'm, gl- I'm so glad you mentioned that. And – I'll point to the it was a, it was some type of press release that was I think I'm not sure if it came after I think it came after Canales was hired or it might have been when Morgan was hired that the structure is that both the general manager and the head coach are still going to be reporting to the owner like why do you need to insert that into your press release I saw it I said it's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. We, we've seen <laughs> and, other. <laughs> it's obviously that just makes me skeptical. I think I think that would have been better left out of a press release. Although we've talked about this, I think guys like Mike Kay and others have tweeted this out that Philadelphia has a similar dynamic and other teams. But yeah, maybe for the purposes of what this franchise has been through since 2018, might have been better just to leave that little detail in house. <laughs> yeah, that's my whole thing. It's like. Yesterday at the press conference, um, you know, Tepper is like, um, you know, I'm taking a step back. I'm not doing any pressers. Like, he didn't take any questions. I just think that's a pretty cowardly um, way to go about it, especially if the structure of your organization still involves you having consistent meetings with the head football coach and the general manager of the player personnel department. I just think, like, you should be made available if you're still going to be the overseer of those two critical components of the operation that is it currently stands. Um, I personally think he was just dodging the media because, I, you know, there's um, a lot of criticism when he did the press conference and he didn't answer Scott Fowler's question, which I thought was uh, pretty um, irresponsible. But again, for me to kind of totally buy into this new um I buy into the coaching staff, so, and I'll get to that in a second. I still have plenty of reservations over this front office. And, and the reason I say this is, John, you just mentioned an individual who used to be employed by this organization. Um, you know, we've had conversations about him and that 
I believe he was a very qualified uh, member yep. and trusted member of the organization for plenty of years. And he clearly has a very um, uh, well-accomplished uh, resume when it comes to scouting. I don't think anyone could disagree with that. And yep. again, I'm not trying to, you know, sit up here and call for anyone's jobs. All right. Like Scott Fitter, Frank Reich, these are by all accounts, pretty good humans off the field. I mean, Frank Reich is probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet yeah, that's he is. within the NFL. So um, again, I'm, I'm trying to be careful about how I'm kind of conveying what um, the purpose of what I'm trying to say here. And it's that your college scouting, e even just dismissing the Matt Rule kind of operation, it's been very pedestrian. And again, it's just like you want to hold one person accountable for that, but I don't think it's fair. Yeah, you can't hold one person. Look, it was it, this has taken a village to wreck this team over the past few years, and, and it has been wrecked. I mean, the article from Joe Person last year on Diana Rossini, I mean, you and I went over that, some of the discord and the Hunger Games culture behind the scenes, and, and as a result, you've seen some uh, holdovers that are no longer on the staff reportedly because, <laughs> well, you want to get your own guys in there, and I think that's a brilliant move by – it's a simple, brilliant move by Dave Canales to want his own people. That's something that we really have needed here for a while, some continuity on a staff that's a true NFL staff, not from Baylor. But I think, you know, from the time they pull up in, in Matt Rule's driveway at Waco, um, Matt Rule, I take the money. I, I don't blame him at all. And, um, you know, you go take that job, you get total control of the roster, and some of those moves were good, some were not so good, but he was certainly not qualified to be in that position. They bring in Scott Fitterer. And Scott gets an increased role and responsibility there as the rule era sort of died down. And then Scott gets an opportunity to be the general manager. And I don't know how much pressure was put on him by ownership. I can't speak to that. But, yeah, you talk about collaborative efforts. Uh, the fact that on this very show, Billy, remember, was it, uh, I don't know how many months ago it was now, but when that trade went down with DJ Moore, yeah. remember how – level-headed and balanced we were but somewhat critical of the draft capital remember the pushback we got on not only the message boards but reddit on twitter everybody was ecstatic excited and you can see now why we had a little bit of reservation and i think about 99 percent of the fan base looks back at that and this is no diss on bryce young i think they put him in a horrible situation but mm -hmm. that was a lot to give up and you and i at the time were, were very honest about how we felt about that and so now there's a clear you know, like the, the the guy we know that has worked in in scouting around the league for a long time says he really likes Dan Morgan. He's a big fan of his, but he's not certain that this is a huge difference in terms of what Scott Fitter's vision was to now. And that was the one thing that resonated with me. Of course, everybody's going to have their own opinions about it. If you build a good roster and it's done in a way that is not necessarily reckless, which I think was a big problem here over the past couple of years, then you'll start piling up some wins and you'll start gaining some confidence in the fan base and in the media. But right now, when you're coming off the kind of seasons they've had, it's nothing but peddling hope. And that's what this tis the season for it right now, Billy. It's every single February. We're just sitting here trying to peddle hope and we're just not going to do it blindly. You and I are not. So I'm looking forward to talking about the coach and the coaching staff. But as for Dan Morgan, look, I'm, I like him. I hope he does well. But I think he'd be the first to tell you until I go out and prove it. Yeah, skepticism is totally fair, no doubt. Yeah, and let me just say this about Dan Morgan. Again, he comes from 
you know, a pretty good lineage in Seattle and Buffalo. And I'm not trying to dismiss his qualities as a general manager. Um, but to me, I think one of the biggest qualities that a general manager possesses is political. I mean, politics. Mm -hmm. It's about entrusting yourself to the owners. And again, I'm not saying that's what happened, but when I hear that report from Mike Lombardi that says that Nicole Tepper was a big fan of his, um, and it just like, why, why is she a big fan of his? Like, what did he, what did he do in a draft meeting or, or film study that makes you think he's, you know, uh, that makes you a big fan of this. That's my only thing. Again, you and I, we can look at his resume on the outside and say that he worked for Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, John Schneider. Yeah. You know, Pete Carroll, like he's worked under some very smart and accomplished uh, executives and coaches. But, you know, for the owner, um, if, again, if that report is true, I want to, you know, preface it. If it's not, then it's not. But uh, I'm just going off of what I heard there but yeah and it could be look i have i don't have a close enough relationship with the teppers that that maybe some others do to uh, even know if that's remotely true and i haven't heard that so but lombardi has been around for a while and, and we'll leave it at that i mean that could be something that's in play um i would hope and and i do believe there was more that went into this decision than just that but if that's if that's a factor people are putting out there yeah that's something to keep an eye on And as far as like Dan Morgan goes, like you know, I could be totally off, and maybe he's like the next Ron Wolf for all I know. Um, but it's a high bar, <laughs> you know. Exactly. I don't know. Like yeah. he could definitely, you know, change things, and he could have his own philosophy. Which, you know, we'll see. Again, for me, I'm just taking a very um, measured approach. I'm going to see it until I believe it with this organization. And hey, I think another component is maybe this job wasn't that attractive, and, and it's. You know, it That's probably isn't possibly true. To honest, him. yeah. Um, and so maybe Dan Morgan, among all of the qualified candidates that they interviewed, was the one that probably had the most interest in taking the job. And some of the other individuals, they probably had a little more reservations. You know what? That's totally justified. Um, you know, one comment that he did make that's making the rounds that he's looking for, you know, dogs in the dogs. organization, which. I mean, let me just name a few players here. And you could tell me if they're dogs or not. Is Brian Burns not a dog? No, he's Is a Derek dog. Brown not a dog? No, those are dogs. Is Jeremy Chin not a dog? If they I mean, use him, they play, even play when he plays, yeah. Is J.C. Horn not a dog? Got to stay healthy, but I love him. Chuba Hubbard seems like a dog. Yeah, he's got that mentality. Even even Iquanu as a run blocker, he plays with a pretty dog mentality. I think they have plenty of competitive players. The issue with this organization isn't – it definitely sounds good in a press conference. I'm not denying that. Yep. And I definitely agree that they need to find more competitive juices. I think that ultimately comes from you know, their competitiveness as uh, you know, a operation on the field. I think they do have – they have found these you know, players in the draft that display um, – you know, a sense of just urgency, and they play with their hair on fire. So, especially on defense, Frankie players. Luvu, Frankie Luvu as well as another guy they need to lock up because he's like the quintessential dog on that defense. I think. Um, you know, Jamie Robinson, the guy they drafted last year, had that temperament at FSU, and supposedly, again, I was listening to 
uh, Mac and Bones show. I think Mac reported that, you know, Dan Morgan was a big fan of Jimmy and he kind of, um, you know, was one of the drivers of that selection. So again, I believe that, you know, those type of, if you're trying to recreate the Detroit lions, which isn't a bad model. um, Yeah. You just have to be much more consistent in your approaches. I mean, but you also have to look for good football players. Um, You know, good football players are usually the players that are also competitive. Uh, you know, you're you're not going to find a guy like, you know, everyone's going to say, you know, just name your random bus like a Jalen Rager, or Kadarius Tony. You know, they went the first round. They probably didn't live up to their draft hype, but they were also pretty overrated prospects, and yeah. they probably shouldn't have been drafted where they were. So just draft good players, like you know, yeah, I don't, we don't, John, you you know, you and I don't do psychology testing. Uh, we don't interview these players. The coaches, GMs do that. We can only go off the tape when it comes to scouting and collegiate yeah. prospects. Just find good players, and that's just my biggest thing takeaway from what he said in the press conference. I don't know if you had anything else. Well, I think part of it too, it, you're you're influenced by those who you came up with, and obviously he's got you know a lot of guys that have been very good in front office capacities. Uh, Brandon Bean comes to mind. You mentioned Joe Shane, who came under the the same uh, sort of tree there. And, of course, the the time he spent with uh, John Schneider and uh, Trent Kirshner out there in Seattle, those are all well-respected guys who have a, I would say, a, with the exception of, I think, Shane so far, the jury's still out on how they work out long-term. But in terms of Bean and, and the others I mentioned, a, a sustained track record of success, no matter how you fault them for coming up short in the playoffs or whatever it might be with Buffalo or the same with Seattle, hey, you take that to heartbeat, a good decade of, you know, 10 plus wins every season. So there's not a one size fits all, but I think back to when Dan Morgan came in the league and full disclosure here. Look, I I know Dan a little bit from my past. My, (laughs) my aunt of all people was a business partner with him back in the mid two thousands. So I never really got to know Dan. I got to know Will Witherspoon a little better, but um, I, I have to remove all that, you know, affinity for him as a player. And just as a dude, with the fact that, yeah, the GM side of him, you still got to go out and prove it. And that's with any hire. I will say this, though. When he came in, his first head coach was George Seifert. And we've talked to guys about that 2001 season. And by the way, George, that might have been one of the better drafts ever in franchise history. His parting gift on that 1-15 season. But Dan had to learn through that season how to cope with losing, much like Bryce Young has to learn how to cope from year one. And in year two, John Fox came in and famously said, you know, there's going to be a lot of you guys that, are not going to be here next year. You need tougher, smarter players. And I think that's maybe what subliminally Dan was hitting at on that press conference about, you know, you know, we need dogs here. And look, it's it's fun. It's great PR. It gets fans excited. But when we get into training camp, we're going to see if they have the tough, smart, competitive DNA within that team. And I don't think we can judge it by year one, but they got to start stacking some wins in year one to come back from a 2-15 and 15 season to show some growth. It's much like what he went through as a player. First season, he was a middle linebacker. George Seifert's last year, they were 1-15. Second year, the first year of the John Fox era, they went to 7-9. That's the type of leap in, leap in progression you would like to see, much like what Detroit went through, much like, I think, what San Francisco went through when they hired uh, a guy that a lot of people criticized, Dan, John Lynch, as a general manager. And it worked out nicely with a coach that I think has a better pedigree and track record than Canales, but I still like Dave a lot here. Time will tell, but I I totally get the skepticism. As Musin Muhammad said, a guy that I think very highly of, you know, it was a great culmination of, uh, you know, some Panthers greats yesterday. 
But yeah, there's natural skepticism here. And I think, like I said, Dan would, would be the first to tell you, yeah, we got to go out and prove it. Yeah, and I, and I think the biggest key to for the biggest key for Morgan to have success, um, obviously, draft good players. It's easier said than done, but he needs to surround himself with smarter individuals in the front office. I think Grant Tillis is an excellent start. I think the owner probably had a pretty big hand in that decision, which credit to him if that was if that is the case, but. Again, mentioned earlier, college scouting, college scouts, even pro personnel, and you know that procurement. You know, it, it's not a Dan Morgan, just like it wasn't just a Scott Fitterer operation. It's not just a Dan Morgan operation. He needs smarter guys around him, and so I hope. Again, I don't think it's just Dan Morgan. I think you have to surround him with the individuals who have um you know who could provide a lot of assistance at a support role yeah. i don't believe that members of this front office who were under scott fitter you well, know did him any favors i think the pro scouting side i i feel pretty good about that based on one of our prior connections we know from a guy that worked in that building adrian wilson um, we don't know Adrian, but we know a guy that knows Adrian well, and, and he's the VP of player personnel, and he was the VP of pro scouting with the Cardinals, director of pro scouting. He was a scout during the uh, time where, yeah, obviously they were building their roster back in the mid-2000s uh, to be competitive with teams like Carolina and others. So I like the fact that he's still on board in, in a prominent role in a VP role. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I mean, you're exactly right. We don't know how this is going to take shape. We have no idea. It's a feel-good story. Um, but it, it, we had a feel good story 12 months ago, almost to the day where Frank Reich came back home and they started building an all-star staff. So naturally there's some skepticism and, and it's well-earned. Hey y'all, John Ellis here for prize picks, the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, an easy and exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Price Picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Testing my skills on Price Picks this football season is the most exciting way to play fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Price Picks is simple to play. I can make my picks, submit my entries in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Price Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to pricepicks.com slash roar and use code roar for a first deposit match up to $100. Pricepicks.com slash roar and use the code roar for a first deposit of up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with price picks. Yep, totally agree. All right, moving over to coaching. Um, you know, my top three choices, and I don't know what yours were, I forgot, but my top three were uh, Todd Munkin, Brian Callahan, and Ben Johnson. Yeah. But as it turns out, um, Callahan, he was the first uh, non-promotion hire uh, because – Gerard Mayo got promoted, and Antonio Pierce also got promoted. Yep. So I think Callahan was like the first uh, external, external hire. Yeah, they moved quick on that. 
So credit to the Titans. And then Ben Johnson, I think, got cold feet once again. <laughs> yeah. And he's uh, deciding to return to the Detroit Lions for a another season with them. And, you know, I, I know people are going to kind of get a little weary of Munkin because he didn't really call a great game in the AFC title game, but I oh, generally don't think that matters. I hate me. that narrative. It's a recency bias. The same thing with guys like Dan Quinn. That, that That's totally irrelevant to me. Yeah. yeah. And at least yeah, the Quinn thing is a little weirder just because he's already head coach. But True. as it stands, John, I was pretty um, encouraged by what Dave Canales did in Tampa, uh, being able to call plays for Baker Mayfield and uh, create a raw or excuse me, an offensive scheme that tailored to his strengths, you know, a decent amount of play action and route concepts that really fit the mold of what um, kind of accentuates not only Baker's strengths, but uh, their offensive line and their receivers and their tight end, especially Kate Otten had a remarkable season uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so, you know, as I look at it, I was pretty encouraged just what he was able to do offensively. And when I hear him speak, he comes from the Pete Carroll school where he has a lot of energy. You know, he, you know, definitely lights up a room. So I don't necessarily think that he will have any issues leading a group of men. Now, obviously, there's going to be some people that have concerns with only one year of play calling. I'm not too kind of concerned about that, if I'm being honest. But overall, what encourages me here is this. You know, the hire itself of Canales, I think, is good. But adding to that is the fact that they're hiring guys that Canales has worked with. Yep. The issue last year is you hired all these guys from, you know, one of them was a Frank Wright guy. Another one was a Sean McVay guy. Another one was... Who knows? Yeah. I mean, a Josh McCown that came out of nowhere. Jim yeah. Caldwell. I think having Caldwell on staff just as a support is a good thing. I don't think he's going to get involved in um, offensive design, architecture, all that stuff. But having him on staff, I think, is fine just because there are other issues, administrative issues that you need to learn as a head coach to move forward, whether it's what days do you travel? Do you get to the hotel an hour earlier? Um, mm -hmm. What time do the buses run? Stuff like that. And for me, again, the position coaches, Harold Goodwin, Joe Gilbert, um, you know, Brad Idzik, who's a pretty close lieutenant of his, um, you know, they worked with him in Tampa. You know, I was pretty surprised they were able to get Goodwin and uh, Gilbert because uh, those yeah. guys did, like Bruce Arians type uh uh, they they worked under Bruce Arians in multiple stops. Um, but yeah, and there's still some question that uh, about the defensive coordinator, but with all these DC roles closing up, um, I think he's going to probably be not forced to stay, but I just think like it's going to dry off and he's going to have to return. Um, but yeah, I think the coaching hire was really good and it helps certainly that he is adding to the staff with guys that he's worked with. Yeah, I look at what Carolina's gone through, Billy, in, in several phases here. They, they've they tried a, a couple of different approaches, and, and this mirrors a little bit of what they allowed Matt Rule to do. Um, but as, as we both noted, you know, hiring the guys you know is a prudent thing to do. Parcells had always done that. Belichick obviously leaned on that for years. Uh, 
the Shanahan's always have done that. Um, and, and I think it's a prudent thing to do. But when you're doing it with a guy coming from the college level, no disrespect to Baylor or Matt, but that was the concern I had was in you add in the Joe Brady thing as well, which uh, congrats to Joe for getting a new OC gig. That's awesome. But at the time, it just wasn't a good match. And then you had the the amount of Temple and Baylor influence on that coaching staff that it just felt like to me was going to get overmatched. And I think in certain situations, certain games, that was the case. And then you flash forward to what happened last year, and I was not as skeptical as I should have been. Um, good time to self-scout when you see how bad it looked during the regular season and even some of the the weird low-energy kind of vibes I got early in the season and even in camp were um, – the direct result, I think, of Frank coming off a really tough time with his last gig, maybe not being ready to step back in and not being ready to take on what was going to be not only a staff that was uh, kind of like an arranged marriage for him, but having to deal with the owner, uh, obviously with the number one overall pick, the pressure on developing him, and very little window of time there to, to sort of breathe. And so you tried the approach of continuity with the college guys. You tried the approach of diversity of thought with the pro guys, and now they're coming back to the pro side, but adding continuity. You mentioned Harold Goodwin, a guy that's from Columbia, South Carolina, a guy that goes way back to the old Steelers Super Bowl days of 2008. He was the offensive line coach back then. People are saying, well, you hired the run game coordinator for the worst rushing team in the league. I think it's a little more complex than that. You have to look at Goodwin's total body of work with Bruce Arians in Arizona, which was exceptional comes highly regarded, and he's going to be the assistant head coach, run game coordinator here. I thought Joe Gilbert was a good hire, and I think, you know, we all understood what was going on with uh, James Campen, who we appreciated the work he did in 2022, but the fact of the matter was it was a disaster last year, and I know they had a lot of rotation there. They bring him in as the offensive line coach. Rob Moore, Bernie Parmalee are going to coach up the skill players, and uh, obviously Brad Idzik, who comes from a long line of, uh, <laughs> of guys in his football family, and understands the Dave Canales way of doing things, is going to be the OC. He won't call the plays. But my initial impression, um, my, my work for iHeartRadio, uh, obviously I get to cover this team on the beat, and I actually talked to Dave Canales earlier today. And um, unfortunately we can't play that audio on this uh, particular platform, but I can just tell you that, yeah, there, there's a real genuine sort of energy about what he does. It's not overwhelming. It doesn't feel fake. Um and, you know, I asked him point blank, I said, you know, what's your message to those here in the Carolinas that have been suffering for not only the past five years, but for a couple of decades now in terms of the ups and downs? And he gave good answers in terms of just football. I thought what was impressive in his press conference, um, and again, winning the press conference is, is great. And, and we understand that that's only part of the battle here. But it was encouraging to hear him say one particular uh, quote that I wish I had the audio to play here, but... Um, it's about football. It's about good football. It's it's not about cliches. It's not about, you know, speeches. It's about, you know, getting the football right. I love that expression, getting the football right. And I think he truly is a student of the game. When you spend that much time with Pete Carroll, even though he's a relatively young head coach with only one play-calling year under his belt there, he gets back to being the CEO of the team there. He's still going to call plays, but the understanding of what it takes to run a top-notch organization and to your point, the work he did not only with, with Russell Wilson as a quarterback coach back in his prime, the fact that he was a big part, and this is not just looking at you know his track record on Wikipedia, but understanding people in the NFL circuit will give him a lot of credit for the fact that Geno Smith had a remarkable turnaround in his career, and a lot of people put that on Dave Canales, among others. And the work he did last year with Baker, 
I mean, Billy, we saw Baker Mayfield up close and personal and how hard it was to get him to function. Obviously, he was coming off a shoulder injury, but he had had some time to rehabilitate. And the fact that Dave came down there um, to Tampa, he had options to stay in Seattle and to keep working with Geno, but he kind of bet on himself there and said, no, people are expecting this Tampa Bay team to be a really, really bad team this year. And um, I remember saying to myself, you know what, after those first few games, it's really impressive how they're operating there offensively. And I was a little curious about Dave Canales. And I think our good friend, uh, Josh Norris, didn't he put out a, a, a show with who's the quarterback he does work with, Colt McCoy now, um, on scheme yeah. there? And, and, and they, they were one of the first people to highlight this in video podcast form. And that was an interesting watch early in the season. We got to see this offense a couple of times. It wasn't that impressive, but I think you give Evero's defense a lot of credit in those games. But his big stat is 2.7. 2.7 seconds. Get the ball out. Get the ball out quick. Have the route concepts timed up nicely with that. He's a good tactician and a good strategist. And, you know, I've got decent vibes about who they've hired as the head coach, and I like the staff he's building so far. <clears throat> Any thoughts from you on the um, mystery around the defensive staff? Did you expect them to stay? Yeah, you know what? That's interesting. He talked about that in the press conference, and it, there have been some people that have reported from his comments that, oh, yeah, they're retaining the whole staff. I, I think this is, by the time you hear this podcast, maybe that gets all finalized or maybe Evero has another opportunity. They blocked him from several opportunities. Um, I do not like what happened with Chris Tabor. Um, I, he, he was blocked from several opportunities, and they held on to him, then they let him go. But I think with the, the fact that Evero comes highly regarded, we saw the work he did. Canales really likes him. It's not just lip service. I think Dan really likes him. I think they're going to make every effort to keep that staff largely intact. And I think that's a pretty decent idea, personally. Uh, coming into year one, being an offensive-minded coach with a lot of play-calling responsibilities on your plate there to ease into a defense structure that has already been established as a decent unit. I am not going to go into the, the stats in terms of third overall in the league. They were last in the league in takeaways. That's got to change. Even Dave said that in his press conference. We got to make the ball the issue. We got to take the ball away. I think Dan talked about it too. But I think they can fix those things. And I, I like Averill. Um, I don't think you're going to find too many better defensive coordinators out there now. Whether they align in terms of their um, idea on how to play defense, we know he comes from the the Vic Fangio tree, the the Staley tree, the whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the tree that grows with the quarters type of coverage they run, but. I I have no problem with them retaining that staff, um, and I don't know if they're going to do it or not, but it sounds like they want to do it. Well, yeah, and the reason why I'm a little more optimistic that they will is that Green Bay had a defensive coordinator opening, and someone posted a clip of Evero and Matt LaFleur kind of hugging it out on the yeah. field before the game in December, <laughs> and I thought that was a little bit of foreshadowing, and then uh, the Rams also had a defensive coordinator opening, and yep. the Falcons did. And obviously, with the Rams, it's uh, you know he worked under Sean McVay for a number of years. But the Rams were they just promoted uh, Chris Shula to be their defensive coordinator, yep. so that's closed. Uh, Raheem he uh, he brought Jimmy Lake, uh, who was one of the defensive coaches in L.A., to yep. be his defensive coordinator. So a lot of those jobs have kind of filled up. Now there's, I believe, Miami is the only one that hasn't filled their defensive coordinator opening. 
Um, Dallas well, too. I think Dallas is still shopping around after Dan Quinn left. I'm I'm told Dallas is going in a different. Will not be going in that direction. I'm pretty confident they will. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have, mean, in in that case, yeah, I think he stays, and I think they they. I don't have financials. Nobody really does on what these guys are going to pay, but I think it's no secret that Tepper got the checkbook out to to pay these coordinators and these assistants pretty decent coin last year. So I don't know. I I think he's probably looking at the situation and saying, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm not a head coach yet, but at the same time, I kind of know my personnel here and I'd, I'd like to stay. And he's under contract, so there's that. I mean, I think there's a really good chance. And even, you know, Dave had talked about in detail in his presser uh, the fact that, you know, hey, I had to face this defense not only last year, but when I was in the NFC West. And uh, he seems to be a big fan of it, and it seems to be a genuine sentiment. He, I think he stopped short of saying, yes, we are retaining these guys. But he gave every indication, yeah, if I had my choice, that would be where we go with this. we got to just let it all play out. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And hopefully that is resolved. I think things are trending in the right direction with these other defensive coordinator jobs being filled up. Uh, I, I do understand um, some of the, um, maybe the concerns that he, Evro has as far as just his own um, kind of promotion and status as a football coach in the future. But at the same time, I mean, you know, the last three years he's been in three different organizations, you know, starting with the Rams and he was the Broncos and he's in Carolina. So Maybe a little stability. I don't want to speak for him, obviously, but yeah, maybe sure. a little stability helps um, helps him as well. And look, he he's still got interviews this year after they were two and fifteen. So I don't expect him to, um, you know, not receive the same amount of attention uh, with a defense that, in my opinion, should improve um, mm-hmm. over the course of the next year. So. Um, but look, yeah, with respect to the coaching staff, as I said last year at this time when Frank Reich was hired, it is all about the players. You're not going to have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Kate Otten, yeah. and Worfs on, on your team. That's why I spent the majority of you know my opening segment kind of dissecting a little bit of the concerns I have with this front office because at the end of the day, it's up to them to procure players and build a sound enough roster where the head coach and the players can thrive. I think that's what it's going to come down to, in my opinion. Oh, it always does. I mean, look at you know the 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 general sense of optimism that most people had this time last year, and then into the draft season, and then into training camp was not one of a team that was going to go 14 and two or 10 wins even, but you know, I, I saw them taking a step forward after the mess we had seen prior to Frank Reich arriving. And, and you, you learn really fast. Some of the things you have personnel wise that you think are a good fit. It's, it's all about marrying the personnel you have. And Canales has talked about this. I want to talk about in his words here. Um, Dave says a lot. I want to focus on what we can do, not what we can't do. And that's great on a bulletin board. And it, it looks great on on a slogan on a t-shirt but at the end of the day you got to have playmakers and they're going to have to figure out how to not only procure those but develop the ones they may have on the roster and become better and because you look at what Dave did down there in Tampa it was exceptional with Baker Mayfield but they did have some weapons Billy they did and they had some guys on the offensive line that could hold up in pass protection with a little more efficiency I think than what was constituted the past couple years here without 
the Ben McAdoo, Steve Wilkes combination of what they did late in that season, which was pretty brilliant in 2022, masking some of the deficiencies they had in terms of pass protection by becoming a run-heavy team. He, uh, Canales, I think, in theory, you know, he, and he talked about not wanting to get into his football philosophy too much, but I think if you come from the Pete Carroll coaching thought train, which he does, and some of what he did on tape last year is trying your best to establish a run game, which they had a hard time doing last year in Tampa, and trying to take some vertical shots off that. And when you don't get the ball out quick, and, and that's what most teams try to do, but you got to have players. I mean, last year we saw Bryce Young get set up for a lot of disappointment and a lot of tough games because they couldn't scheme things up to separate in terms of the routes, and they didn't have the personnel to do it. And there was obviously a lot of, uh, I, I would say, disconnect when it came to how they should structure the offense around this rookie quarterback. And then it's going to be up to Bryce at some point. I mean, I've heard evaluators talk about it too, and you can't throw out the entire body of work of what he's done so far. Those are games that mean something. Maybe he gets a little more leeway, but after about 20, 25 games in this league as a starter, if you're not showing true progression, then you get a little worried as as a franchise. We've seen that. So I like a lot of what Bryce was able to do in those circumstances, but there's also some things I looked at and said, man, in terms of bouncing out of the pocket, the footwork, they got to clean that up. So that's going to be largely on Dave and his staff to get that done. Um, you've got to have playmakers, Billy. You're exactly right. It, we can talk Offensive about coaching. Line. Offensive line too, yeah. you got to have guys. you got to have guys. If you don't, man, you could scheme up anything you want. Even Shanahan went through this early on with San Francisco. I mean, everybody goes through this. But until they get the better, the better players of the positions we've talked about for two or three years now, wide receiver, tight end, you know, pass protection on the line. Um, it, it, it'll it'll continue to be hard. So they've got to get those players, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, as we look forward, you know, we'll, we'll do more shows here in the upcoming future. Uh, I think you and I, we, we've kind of made our feelings known that we are pretty big fans of, um, you know, just how the coaching staff and I'll personally be even more optimistic about the um, the coaching once we get confirmation that Ivaro will stay. And by all indications, it's looking that way, but you never know. There's things that happen that you, know, you don't yeah. expect or anticipate. Uh, but, you know, as we look forward here, John, um, you know, the Carolina Panthers, they, and they have a decent amount of cap space. I, I haven't really checked it the last time. Um, obviously, they have the 33rd overall pick. Um, but as cap space, say, it says right now there's like twenty eight and a half million according to over the cap. Mm -hmm. What are your three biggest needs from just a personnel standpoint? Well, taking the draft out of it because I, I don't know enough about these prospects yet to to size up where they're going to land at thirty three. Free agency, but, uh, free agency. I think they, yeah, they. And this is not a great wide receiver class in the free agent market but you know i'll go to the obvious a boundary x that can play, make some plays and separate would be nice because i don't think they know what they have in mingo yet i don't and let me just say this before anyone i don't believe t higgins is realistic for this organization because they don't have a first round pick and i believe the Bengals will tag him yeah there's that i think that leaves you with a, a number of guys like is calvin ridley possibly that guy i don't know i mean he had a nice rejuvenation there for a minute uh, but he, he didn't exactly light it up down the stretch with Jacksonville. Um, Mike Evans is an obvious name 
but are you willing at that age? Mike Evans has been a Panthers killer, so there's a lot of elements of this that I look at and say, yeah, that's attractive. He knows Canales. Uh, Mike likes Dave Canales. Dave likes him. But other than that, it's a pretty slim class. I think Michael Pittman's a free agent. Um, I don't know if this is the year they're going to be to nail that out of the park. I think you got to make yeah, a decision. Those, Go ahead. I'm glad you brought up those two guys actually make a lot of sense. Pittman and uh, Ridley. Um, they're definitely upgrades. Yeah. And again, um, it's just the other parts. Like what other areas do you think outside of the obvious, which is you know, figuring out the long-term future of Brian Burns. Well, that's key too. They got to figure that out. That, that was, that was turned into a, a more of a mess than it should have been. And I don't totally take Burns out of that equation, but I think the former general manager was playing some, some hardball there. And, and there were some opportunities to deal him to a team that could have recovered draft assets and given him a fresh start. And it's hard to know where his mind is in all this, but they've got to get some resolution on that. You got to start thinking about what you're going to do in terms of contracts with Frankie Louvu, with uh, Derek Brown. Uh, doesn't get any easier. You got to make decisions on guys like Dante Jackson, who um, there's a cap number there that that can be reduced in terms of the cap hit on your team if you make a move on him. Is he shown enough to you or to anybody else that they should keep that going? I don't know. I mean, and then J.C. Horn's got to stay healthy. I think they got to figure out a Quano too. What works with their scheme? Is he truly a left tackle? Are they going to give him one more year out there? And if not, then you got to start looking at maybe kicking him inside. As we've talked about, as the scout that we both genuinely respect and know that worked with that team talked about, they had internal conversations on draft night and leading up to draft that if Aquano didn't work out at tackle within a year or two, then kick him inside to guard. You've got a great solution there, and you go shopping for a left tackle. they got to keep an open mind about that. I, um, I couldn't agree more. I think for the success of this offense – I think that you have to move him inside. I Obviously, you. I mean, I'm just looking here at the options available on the left tackle and right tackle market. It's not necessarily. I mean, Jonah Williams is a guy that immediately comes to mind. Um, I think he would present an upgrade, and I think he played right tackle for the Bengals this year. Yeah. After being a left tackle, I mean, he's a pretty average player. But let's be honest, average would be a pretty big improvement. Mm-hmm. For this franchise at that position so someone like him and then move, you're moving Equano into left guard and then you obviously um look Bozeman he didn't have a good season uh, I don't think you need to uh sugarcoat it whatsoever sure uh but as it stands I mean he does have a pretty decent contract so I don't think that you should uh maybe move on from him um, maybe you can find a guy in the draft and let you know, third, fourth rounds who can compete. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, right guard, you have Corbett still. And, you know, the big question with him is just uh, the durability question and his ability to stay healthy. Yeah, he's like, the, um, he's the JC Horn of the offense. I like them both so much, uh, but they just have had a hard time staying on the field. But yeah, but, but the thing is, like, if you, if you're able to move Equano inside and find a, um, you know, a veteran left tackle, you can give uh, Christensen the opportunity to compete with, um, whoever it is, yeah. you know, on the interior positions uh, for that spot, it just builds up your depth. And ultimately, uh, last year they, you know, went through a litany of offensive line problems, mm. um, mostly due to injury. You know, some of the players didn't play well, which is why uh, I thought it was, you know, a good thing that the uh, previous offensive line coach moved on. 
but overall that just improves your depth so it, there's no harm in it uh, but you know one more position john that kind of it, it's been made aware to me but i don't know maybe you have a different idea but i think i, I do think linebacker should be something that they look at in mm-hmm. free agency mm-hmm. i'm curious on your thoughts yeah it depends on the scheme i think you you got you know, obviously, if Averro's going to be there, uh, Shaq Thompson, the, there's, uh, you know, some quotes out him from from him this week talking about how he wants to stay here and he wants to be here long term. But the fact of the matter is that I think he even understands as a business, and I'm not sure that they're gonna they're gonna stay in that direction, which leaves you with this uh, th- this this role that Lubu plays on your defense as a guy that can do a lot of great things. I think there's a there's a real depth issue there. I think you got to make some decisions eventually on Marquise Haynes, who I like a lot, but had trouble staying healthy as well. And um, again, like inside linebacker to me, just would be something to keep an eye on, uh, depending on again the scheme, how much base they're running, which is probably going to be you know twenty percent of what they do. That's the league this day and age. But there'll be times where you have you know multiple linebackers on the field, and you need to have depth there. I think maybe tight end too. I don't know how they're much they're locked down into the contract with um, with Hayden Hurst. It, it seems like you know his situation, and I wish him all the best because I like the guy a lot. I know he's been through a ton, but you know that was a scary situation with him last year. And I think that there's some guys in the free agent market that stand out as possibly good fits to work into that rotation. At running back, I think Hubbard, you know, is is kind of their guy right now. And, and Sanders, you hope it can turn around because that's a pretty substantial contract they gave him, multiple years, and. Um, I don't know if they're they're stuck with him, but I I think they kind of are. So you better make the best of what Miles Sanders can bring you. But yeah, I think linebacker is something to look at. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Sanders is um, like a post uh, June first cut. Yep. Um, I mean, you heard even yesterday uh, during the press conference, Canales like name dropped Chuba Hubbard. So that kind of yeah. tells you you need to know. About, I caught that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that tells you all you need to know about kind of the direction of where the running back, um, you know, reps will go to in the future. And look, Hubbard has certainly improved uh, tremendously uh, since uh, he was drafted in 2021. Um, But yeah, look, I I think that we'll definitely get into more free agency as, you know, the weeks leading up to it. Uh, We definitely wanted to kind of come on here and discuss some of the uh, recent news, um, but I think you and I have a pretty similar tone when it comes to coaching hire. Uh, you know, for me personally, again, I'm not trying to rain on Dan Morgan's parade here, but, you know, I definitely want to become much more, um, you know, I'm much more reserved as far as where that uh, hire is going to go. I want to see it to believe it, and it doesn't take more than a couple off seasons to really understand the direction of you know how a gm operates i think you can judge him uh, not necessarily by his draft picks and how they play but just by the processes that he puts in place and how he what type of players he pursues and how he kind of navigates and spends in free agency and uh, what he feels are important in the draft as well just kind of looking at the positional value yep um so yeah i mean that's all i really have john unless you have anything you want to add? Ah, I think you nailed it. You you got to harmonize between your your talent evaluation, 
and your procurement and then the development of those players. And then we'll, we'll see how many of the players that were brought in from Scott and even Dan in part and then, you know, the Matt Rule era and Frank Reich and others uh, end up getting developed, whether it's Mingo, uh, Terrace Marshall and others, whether they have a future here on defense, you've got some young guys as well, or whether it's going to be sort of like we saw in Dan Morgan's second year as a pro player where it's like, okay, let's clean house and let's start adding some more pieces through free agency. Um, a lot of approaches they can take, but yeah, well, time will tell. We'll see. I like Dave Canales. I like Dan Morgan. I hope they win together. I hope they win a lot of games because I'm, I'm sick of doing this show after a lot of losses. <laughs> we agree more. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you guys next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.